0: Uh, about 20 years ago, there was a group who was probably, I assume, featured at Windstar Casino now because it's one of those groups that was R&B in the late 90s, early 2000s, and what do they do now? They rock gigs at casinos in the early 2020s, uh, and this group had a song that said, and it was famous hit song, like I was saying last week, Song of Songs, right, like just top a charting fantastic song and it was uh, it was about getting married and it was like cool man like people are just celebrating marriage uh, but it was a band called or a group called jagged edge that sang this song that said let's get married and a lot of people played it a lot of people like proposed to it played it at their weddings just a wonderful song right no, it's wrong. It's a terrible song because no matter how catchy the melody is, the words go, uh, we ain't getting no younger. We might as well do it. Let's get married. That's the romance of the song. With the, get past all the big hype and production and Jermaine Dupri in the background going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you just get lyrics that say, I'm proposing to you. Let's get married. You're not getting younger. Neither am I, so let's get married, right? Like, what, what romance is that? What wooing is that? What kind of pursuit what logic is that? It's just like, okay, but then just make it real poppy and upbeat and sound real uh, aesthetically pleasing to the ear. That's, that's what they did. This morning, we're going to try to look at something that's not that and the opposite of that, of like actually romance and care and concern and patient grace and kindness and pursuit of, uh, uh, of marriage, pursuit of not marriage itself, but wife, your wife, particular husband. That's what we are talking about. And so if you saw it as Stephen read it, or if you didn't, either way, will you look at it with me? Ephesians 5, verse 25 Ephesians 5, verse 25. I got that melody stuck in my head now. Anyone else? No? Yeah. This is a very particular reference for just me and about two other people in this room. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. All right, so just off the top, what's the command? Love your wife. Husbands, love your wife. If you're here this morning and have the honor of being a... Royal husband, love your wife. That's it. That's it. That's the big idea. That's the command. That's the clarity. That's the direction. That's what God is calling you. So you're like, oh, I wonder what we're going to do with husbands in this series. This we're going to tell husbands. Husbands, love your wife. That's what. Now, how? How will you love her? We're going to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So that means, at the least, we're talking about uh, sacrificial action and deep affection, right? That's what we're talking about. How are you going to do it? With deep affection, that's how you're going to love your wife. With sacrificial action, that's how you're going to do it. Compassion and gentleness and protective strength. That's how you're going to love. Because Christ's love for you is the grace, the example, and the power for you to love your wife. So I want to consider more of the cosmic romance we looked at last week. So let me add another verse to this thought. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. What I want you to see is that we're caught up in this Trinitarian love story, that the Father is the head of Christ, and Christ is the head of man, and the husband is the head of the woman. What is going on here? What is going on here is this cascading waterfall of love. Because what did Jesus, what did Christ say about his relationship with the Father? Well, in John 17, he says, Father, you love me before the the world's foundation. John 3.35, the Father loves the Son, has given all things into his hands. John 5.20, the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. And so the in this relationship, the father is the lover and the son is the beloved. And then the beloved, Jesus, the son, becomes the lover and he loves his bride, the church. And then keep going with me. Then what? If he is the lover who loves you men, husbands, then what do you become? You turn from being the beloved, to also the lover who loves your wife, the beloved, and she becomes the beloved to you. Do you see this cascading waterfall of love? That you become loved, and then you are the lover. This is the father to the son, son to the church, church to one another. This is what it's to look like. And husbands, you're to be the... Lover of your wife, your bride. Mike Reeves says this in Delighting of the Trinity. He says, the shape of the father-son relationship begins a gracious cascade like a waterfall of love. As the father is the lover and the head of the son. So the son goes out to be the lover and the head of the church. Husbands, you are beloved by Jesus. That's where we're going to start. Of course, we're going to get to the command, but first, husbands, you are beloved by Jesus. And then you turn your head, and you're the head and the lover of your bride. But first, we start with the Jesus loves you, and Jesus cherishes you, and Jesus nourishes you he provides for he cares for he has deep affections longings yearnings and the sacrificial action for you this is his love for you he gave him self for you to woo you to win your heart like i said last week in this cosmic romance back before creation in eternity past the father pointed past all the other galaxies pointed at earth and stated, there she is, son. There's your bride. Go love her. And so Christ did. He came to give you his heart, his love. Husbands, the perfect husband loves you. Cherishes you, nourishes you. Richard Sibbs, here's a few Puritans for thought. Richard Sibbs said this We must see Christ's kingdom as a sweet lordship, for he's not only a king, but a husband. Benjamin Keach builds on this and says, To kiss the king's hand is a great favor, but is a far greater token of special love to be made his queen. And David Clarkson wrote, Christ had thoughts of love to us from eternity, and we are never one moment out of his mind. Since then, we are his jewels, his treasure, and where his treasure is, there will his heart be also. So you have to see this cosmic romance, because what we saw last week is that... Uh, uh, the romance between Jesus and his bride, the church, is the deepest reality, and our marriages are just to show off the deepest reality. Our marriages are, are metaphors to show off the br- brilliant radiance of Jesus loving his bride and giving himself for her and presenting her with splendor and cherishing and nourishing and washing her with the water so that she is made holy and blameless. So human marriage exists to show off that glory, that glory of Jesus stepping out of heaven and going to the earth, becoming fully God, fully man, so that he could win your heart, woo you to himself, and cherish you now and forever. And so husbands, that's you too. That's you too. That, that's how you live out of that. What Jesus has done to you, how he's loved you, is what not only changes you, but motivates you to love in the same form, same fashion. I mean, think about this. He does not love you because you're beautiful and good. He chooses to love you. He sets his love on you, and then he makes you by his love beautiful, and good. And so since you're cherished by such a husband, you're nourished by such a husband, you're loved and cared for and provided for and cultivated and taken great, tenderly, just having that tender kindness from your husband forever. Husbands, and this is what it looks like to turn and then cherish your wife. To love her. Husbands, love your wives. Before we get into some of the practical tools in loving on the backhand of this, the backside of this passage, let me just... Men, can I give you some temptations? I gave us some temptations last week. Here's some temptations in regards to being husband. Some temptations. Uh, Pride. Pride's one. Temptation to see, I know what I'm doing. I have the best plan for everything. I've got this figured out. Or you have just this sense of uh, self-righteousness and whatever that may be it's a good thing it's a bad thing whatever but you're self-righteous you see you've put your hope in this thing you've built uh, your ladder up to god based on this thing saying i'm valid i'm i'm credible because of this thing but you just blow through people you run over your wife you don't listen because you already know you don't care because you already know Other temptation is cowardice. It's to not do anything. It is to be so concerned that you might mess up that you don't actually put any skin in the game. To not step into conflict because what? Fearful. I'm scared. I'm consumed with with, with fear of man. I can't do this. Mr. Fix-it, there's another temptation to avoid. Where you have taken your engineering degree that helps you connect these three pipes and you apply it to the complexities of your wife's thinking and emotions. And you're like, same thing, it'll work. Your, your your CAD doesn't apply to your wife's emotions and thinking. You can't draw that up. You can't rework it. You can say, oh, there's this broken pipe on sector 7.1. I'll go over there and I'll replace it. You can't do that. Just mister, fix it. How about shame. Shame's also a temptation to... Guilt is about what you've done. Shame is about like who you are, and so you just run into this, I'm terrible, I'm gross, I'm worthless, I can't do anything, uh, I can't help, uh, I'm not worth anybody's time, I-, I shouldn't even be here, I'm not worth, my- it'd be better if my family didn't have me. Like just this shame where you go internal and isolate and essentially beat yourself up, condemn yourself, accuse yourself, and what does that mean? It means you've been cut off from any meaningful, significant, fruitful action towards your wife. Probably one of the most normal reasons, one of the most normal, one of the reasons I see a lot from uh, men husbands not loving, not being sacrificial, not caring, not, not taking glad, sacrificial responsibility for their family is because of shame. Because they're riddled with sexual sin and so they're riddled behind that with shame and so then they won't uh, love, serve, move towards, have compassion towards and actually do the work to go towards their wife because shame is crushing them. Defensiveness—it's another temptation to avoid. Um, a bit with the self-righteousness and the pride. It's just saying, "I, I can't receive anything. I won't receive anything from anyone, particularly my wife. She can't say anything. She can't bring anything up. I have no space to hear any of her critiques, her thoughts, her problems." Uh, because, nope, I can't be in the wrong. I can't have a problem. It can't be me. So I'm going to defend. And then most likely, indefensiveness means I'm going to, on the offense, take an attack and get at you and make you feel worse than I feel. That's how we win this argument. Who feels worse? Who shuts down who at the end, that's winning. which also can look like blame shifting. Can't be you. It's got to be her. It's got to be your dad. It's got to be your brother. It's got to be something else, but you're going to point and you can never own anything in your own life and the sin that you bring to your marriage, how you sin against your wife. Selfishness. Uh, this, is, this is essentially to win a woman to just play a part in your life? It's still everything's about you. One mortal life fully shared, that definition of marriage that we talked about last week, one mortal life fully shared is essentially your life and she just gets tagged on a little bit to it. It's still all about me and she's just there to play like this little role, as I see fit, when I see fit, but it's based on my story, and this is where I'm going, and she can help me if she can help me, and that's it. So it's just focused, and then isolation. Isolation's another huge temptation to stay away from. Is tonight isolate yourself from uh, uh, other godly men, community nor your wife. You need other people in your life. In the worst times of your life, in the shame and the arrogance and the pride, and when you went off the hinges and you did the worst thing you've ever done, when you want to run and hide away and not be seen or known or heard or have anyone uh, know what's going on in you, that's when you need your family. That's when you need community. Community. In those times where you don't want to talk to anyone, when you want to run away, that's when you need to press in and ask for help, humbly. I say humbly, meaning it's gonna take us humbling ourselves to actually do that. Say, I need help. I need help. Marriage is on fire here. I don't know what we're doing. We need help. Don't isolate. But husbands, love your wife. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it. In the ESV, that would be translated nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father, mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. One mortal life fully shared. Verse 32. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself and the wife is to respect her husband so love her as christ loves his bride just as christ cares for provides for his body the church his bride husbands that's what it is for you Christ loves you. And that's what those words are trying to drill into of what does it look, what does it mean for him to love you? It means he nourishes and cherishes you. Verse 27 says that he died to present you in splendor. uh, Magnificence. Magnificence? Magnificence. This is what I'm going to try to say. Husbands, actively love your wife towards magnificence. Towards splendor. Know the woman the spirit is making her. Know the woman he will glorify. Can you picture? I mean, just imagine what the Spirit's doing in your wife's heart and life. And can you imagine, can you picture what she's going to look like glorified with Jesus, <laughs> radiantly brilliant with glory, clothed in Jesus' righteousness, adoring and worshiping and uh, crying uh, with happy tears of joy for her husband? Her true husband, her perfect husband, Jesus. That's what you get to do. Actively love her towards magnificence, that splendor. This is how. How can you love her towards this splendor? One, love her with your words, love her with your words. Encourage her and praise her for her character and beauty. Speak tenderly and respectfully to her. Love her with honest words. Just being truthful is loving her. Hiding, denying, deceiving, lying is not love. Love her with honest words, love her with kind words. I, I don't know, we can talk about your family of origin and how many brothers you grew up with and, and what locker room you you grew up and played sports in, but just to be very clear, she's not one of the guys. Speak kind words to her. She is a terrific treasure to be cherished. So love your wife towards magnificent, <laughs> should have chosen a different word. Something I could pronounce. That's awesome. Towards splendor. There we go. (laughs) Love your wife with your words. Number two, love her with your protection. Be safe for her. Protective of her. Tender with her. Husbands, your physical strength is to be a blessing to her, not a danger or a threat, a blessing that she feels safe, like Matthew Henry talked about uh, under your arm, near to your heart. Love her with your provision. As we saw last week in Genesis 2, you are to cultivate, guard the garden, right? Work is commanded before the fall. It's a good gift. And so husbands, work hard, provide, make money, steward it well. Love her with your presence. Put down your phone, turn it off, put it in another room. All of those things. And sit down and connect with her and be present with her. Like... Unlike Dwight Schrute, he can handle your undivided attention. He can. Uh, that's how I'm trying to she can. You can. You can, husbands, is what I was trying to get. I got thrown off by the Dwight Shrew quote. But you can. You can handle it. You know what you can't handle, actually, as in process and actually compute and understand and take in, is being present at two places at one time. You can't handle that. But you can sit down and be present and see her. Your wife, like I said last week, is like a garden. Tend her. Help her, love her. Help her if there's any rocks in the garden, if there's any weeds, help her pull it out. Tend her, love her, be present with her. Cultivate her rather than ignore her. Number five, love your wife with your affections and emotions. This means love her by being known and by knowing her, opening up to her, being passionate, loving, honest. Share your emotions with her. What's going on inside of you, as well as ask, explore her emotionally, ask open ended questions, listen. Don't listen for what you can say back, listen for what she is saying. This is what I'm talking about this kind of presence. Not just so that you can put a bullet in the chamber so you can fire something else back to her, a response or fix her, or or try to tidy this conversation up and end it. No, I'm gonna listen so I can actually hear what she's saying. That's how you can love her. Listen to fix her problem, listen to be present with her. To actually be there. One of the greatest gifts you can give your wives, husbands, is your transformed and transforming presence. It's one of the greatest gifts you can give your wife, that you're transformed by Jesus and you're uh, uh, helping by your presence transform those that you are with. And with your wife, she's being transformed by being in your presence more and more into the image, not of you, (laughs) because you don't need to recreate her into your (laughs) image. She's been recreated to the image of Jesus, and so she's going that way. That's where you need to point her. That's where she needs to grow more and more like. She's in there as you listen to her, behind those eyes, with all her desires and fears and dreams and hopes. She's in there. Listen to her. As I said, verse 29 gets further down into this phrase, love your wives, with the nourishing and cherishing, the uh, providing for and caring for your wives, that we provide for them, we care for them, we nourish them, we cherish them. Uh, when, When... at a few weddings, and and probably in this, uh, I'll I'll just let me say this to just be very clear: when I say wives or I get into that that plural, plural them, just to be clear, uh, I'm not advocating for anything. Okay, okay, I'm saying husbands and wives. I'm not saying husband and your wives. Okay, just to be very clear where we stand. Okay. In Fort Worth, Texas, I feel like I'd have to make a whole nother apologetic if we're in Salt Lake, but we're not, so we're here, okay? We're here. But husbands, love your wives, provide for, care for. Now, these two words, nourish and cherish, uh, speak of wholehearted involvement, to provide for, to nourish means to develop, to nurture, to lift up, and so this is this is the idea of uh, of dignifying care and attention and purpose, nurturing your wife towards Christ, towards joy, towards love. If this is the way one one author puts it, Ray Ortland, he writes: marriage to a Christ-like husband is for a woman the opposite of a dead end life. That's what it's like to nourish her. It's the opposite of a dead end life. To flourishing and joy and feasting with Jesus. Now cherish, that word gets deeper emotionally. It means to comfort, to warm, to soften as by heat. Like we say, heartwarming. So husbands, cherish means to pour Warmth on your wife, valuing her, holding her dear above all others. Next to Jesus, she's your greatest treasure. You don't break her heart. You don't make her feel like you're stuck with her. You don't you don't compare her to other women. You don't nitpick nitpick her flaws. You no, know, again, Ray Orland does this. He writes, you delight in her and prize her, and she fills it deep inside with a heartwarming glow. That's cherishing one's wife. So again, think about this. Jesus doesn't cruelly rule us. He wisely loves us. So husbands, we don't demand or domineer. We sacrificially love. We nourish and cherish. Jonathan Dotson puts it this way, godly men will serve their way, not insist on their way into marital leadership. That I'm gonna love. I'm gonna love. I'm gonna cherish. I'm gonna care. I'm gonna nourish. I'm gonna pour out and pour out and pour out and pour out. Why? Because that's what I have received, that's what I am receiving, that's what I will receive from the perfect, true, beautiful husband Jesus. So that's what I receive, that's what I give. Now in premarital counseling and things that we uh, do here in classes we've done in the past, I'll just be very frank. In, in gals that we're talking to and leading up to marriage, we, we we ask them, how does he live under authority? And how does he live in authority? Because it's a big deal. It is a beautiful, wonderful thing that God has done in creating marriage, in designing you, making you whatever he's made you, male, female, and now husband, wife. If you're a husband, that's a wonderful royal thing. If you're a wife, that's a wonderful royal thing. So you need to know, and you've got to think about it now. How are you, husbands? Or potential husbands? How do you live under authority? Wives, it's dangerous, or potential wives, it's dangerous to connect, marry, consider marrying a man who's not submitted to Jesus. He'll be a dangerous man. A man who does not live under authority should not be in authority. He doesn't submit to Jesus as that's Ephesians 5. He doesn't submit to others. He doesn't submit to church leaders. He doesn't submit to civil law. He's usually a lone ranger in authority, but not under authority. That's dangerous. I've seen too many situations of sexual and domestic abuse happen with a man who uh, chooses to not live under authority. they do that because there's no one to appeal to when things go wrong. If they can isolate you and they can isolate themselves and not listen to anyone, they will also listen to you. The beauty Jesus' loving servanthood is that you have someone to appeal to. Husbands and wives. Meaning wives, in this church, you, you have someone you can appeal to. You can appeal to this community. You can appeal to the spiritual authority in this church. You can appeal to fellow brothers and sisters. You can appeal to Jesus. But also, husbands, in your sin, how you've treated your wife, how you've treated your, your uh, uh, children, how you've wielded your authority, maybe abusively, maybe haphazardly, maybe terribly. <laughs> Jesus' grace is also for you a transforming grace to forgive where you've terribly failed. Sinned against God and your family, but that you can be washed clean, transformed by His grace, and to move forward with a different purpose, with a different attitude and different affection for your wife. The second question we ask is how do you live in authority? Do you use your power to love like Jesus? Do you die and live for your wife like Jesus? you the head of your wife that graciously loves and serves like Jesus. You initiate like Jesus. You nourish your wife. You promote growth. You cherish her. You hold her precious. That's what we're talking about. In this, this is what you have. You've been called to this headship, this loving servanthood. It's all conditioned, clarified, guided by Christ loves his bride. So, so do husband. How will I love her? You have clarity. You can't say, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know how I should operate. Uh, I'm just, this is it. How have you been loved by Jesus? That's how you're to love your wife. How has Jesus exercised his authority? How has he treated you? I mean, in authority, how do you treat those people under you? Those you're leading? Do you treat them as tasks? Do you treat them as people? with where you've been placed and what you've been called to husband, you've been called to love your wife. Now, I'm gonna finish with some tools, some tools that hopefully help you to think through this, to think about how can I love my wife, okay? So there's some temptations, here's some tools, Ephesians five, I want you to think about this, that Jesus, is the groom to the bride, the church. Jesus fulfills all three Old Testament offices of prophet, priest, and king. And so to love your wife like Jesus loves his bride is to love in the offices, in the ways that Jesus loves his bride. And so as you bear the image of your heavenly husband who loved his bride, then we can love our brides as a prophet, as a priest, as a king. That's the three, Testament, three Old Testament offices fulfilled by Jesus. And so love your wife like Jesus loves the church as prophet. Now what do prophets do? They're usually thinking what? What needs to be communicated? What needs to be said? What truth needs to be drilled into, right? And so as a prophet, that means you, you get to uh, lead your wife with the truth. You get to lead her with the word. You get to point her to Jesus. You get to winsomely and graciously and kindly uh, 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 say, hey, this this is the word. I'm going to stand firm in the faith. I want you to, I, I want to I know what we believe. I want you to believe it as well. Like you're going to stand in this as the prophet. You're going to read the Bible yourself. You're going to pray. You're going to, you're going to lead yourself in the spiritual disciplines and then you're also going to lead your wife and love her in this. To as a priest, what are priests usually asking? Who? Who's going to be affected? So you got to think about this as presence. So am I going to uh, proclaim the truth? Is my family going to be a family that loves the Bible, that holds it as true and authoritative and as good for all? for life and godliness. We're going to do that. I'm going to lead in this. It's a prophet. But also, I'm going to lead in presence. We're going to be with together. Know one another. See, that we're going to comfort one another. We're going to come alongside. We're going to intercede. That's what you're going to do, husband. You're going to intercede on behalf of your wife. You're going to comfort her in her afflictions. You're going to serve her. You're going to remind her of who Jesus is and his heart towards her. You're going to ask questions. And listen, you're going to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And as a king, Corinthians says, be watchful, act like men, be strong. A king looks for ways to honor and protect those under his care. He creates a vision for the future and leads others in that direction. He is so strong, he can be kind, gentle, and humble. He has advisors in his life, men who speak truth to him. So So you think about, husbands, you can lead in this way. Have a vision for your family. Have a direction of where you're going. To lead. To create some systems and structures for your household. To make sure your household is not chaotic and disorderly. You're the one that's going to initiate thinking about planning time together. To plan to get out of debt. To plan for a job with benefits. To plan for creating a budget and actually sticking to it. Now, does this mean in in leadership that, husbands, you're uh, going to do all things? No, but you're going to be responsible for all things. Meaning you're going to gladly assume the responsibility for your family. Why? Because that's what it means, what's what it looks like to love your wife is to gladly assume that responsibility. Now, will you do everything in that note? You know, do you balance the checkbook? I don't know. Is it 1998? But you don't have to, husbands. You don't have to is what I'm saying. There's different gifts. Different couples complement each other differently. So that's a whole nother thing. But husbands, you're going to say, hey, I'm going to actually care about this. I'm going to step into this gap. I'm going to make sure our finances aren't haphazard all over the place and a mess. I'm going to actually think about, are we stewarding our resources? Are we stewarding our cars? Are we stewarding uh, our, our apartment or our house? Think about these things. Why? Because I'm going to lead like Jesus as a king to protect my wife, to protect my family, to fight temptation. That's what we mean when we talk about tough and tender, that you're going to be tender with your wife, and you're going to speak kindly to her, and, and you're going to be gracious and merciful. You're going to pursue her and woo her. You're going to be tender, but you're also going to be tough. and You're going to be tough to protect her. Be tough to fight temptation. You're gonna be tough against the things that want to ruin or destroy or wreck her. You're gonna be tough against false teaching. You're gonna be tough against false gospels. You're gonna be tough against anything that is coming uh, in darkness to overwhelm you, consume you, destroy you. You're gonna fight, stand firm, and say, hey, I'm gonna protect. It's my role. I'm gonna step into this. Husbands, I want you to cherish and nourish your wives, but I want it to be out of a well that won't run dry. Meaning like a four-day plan for tips to like be a little bit better husband ain't going to cut it. You've got to drink deeply from the well of Jesus' love for you and then husband. To drink of his love for you. His perfectly, like just to dwell on his beautifully husbandry love care and then to go pursue your wife as Christ has pursued you to woo her like he woos you to keep winning her heart do you hear what I'm saying? I'll take a stab in the dark. Your romance is probably terrible. If you think I won her heart when I got married, and that's it, keep winning her heart. You you want a you, you want a game or a test or something where you can you know be a warrior to actually achieve something, to accomplish it. You want some video game to feel like you've achieved something. How about Bad accent. How about keep winning your wife's heart? Really ruined that point. How about keep winning her heart? And if you win this level, how about the next level is this? You keep winning your wife's heart. And you get to level 37, and you keep winning her heart. that you don't coast on. I was romantic once in the 90s. I had a very romantic proposal. We've moved past those things. We're older now. The honeymoon stage has worn off. Baloney. Song of Solomon is one life, one mortal life fully shared in all of life. Emotions joys, darkness, physically, emotionally, everything fully shared until you die. So how about this just be a challenge, husbands? Will you step up and keep winning your wife's heart? Nourish her cherish her, love her. Father, we ask, well first, I just thank you. I thank you that you love us, that you have sought us, chosen us, given us to your son. Father, I pray that this does get very practical, that this actually changes how we actually operate between our and our families, with our wives. But Lord, I, I pray that first that this will just sink in, that we are the bride of Christ that everyone will know that and experience that but I pray Lord that the husbands would particularly feel that they are part of your bride and you love them tenderly passionately unceasingly I pray that that would be what sticks with us stays with us rings in our ears afterwards in Christ's name I pray